Welcome to the Fire Learning Trail. The Fire Learning Trail is brought to you by the Fire Learning Network, the Consortium of Appalachian Fire Managers and Scientists, the Nature Conservancy, and the USDA Forest Service. Your guides on this trail are Chris Miner with the Nature Conservancy and Jacob Rice with the U.S. Forest Service. And I'm Jen Bunty with the Consortium of Appalachian Fire Managers and Scientists. to the fire learning trail. In the next few episodes, we're going to be discussing fire on the Daniel Boone National Forest. We'll go over the history of fire in this area, fire adaptations of the species here. In one episode, we'll talk about the research that's going on here, done by the University of Tennessee and other partners. But first, I'm joined today by two members of the Central Appalachians Fire Learning Network, Chris Miner with the Nature Conservancy and Jake Royce with the U.S. Forest Service. And I'd like to start by having you guys introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your background in fire and what you do on the Daniel Boone. So, Chris? I'm Chris Miner. I'm the fire manager for the Kentucky chapter of the Nature Conservancy. I've been involved with controlled burning for around 18 years now, and I've been fortunate enough to work with several partners uh, throughout the state, uh, from State Fish and Wildlife, Division of Forestry, uh, some of the federal agencies like Department of Defense and U.S. Forest Service and National Park Service. And Jake, can you give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, so I started my career uh, after I got a couple degrees um, at the University of Kentucky. I got a bachelor's in science and natural resource conservation. Then I I went on and and worked for the Nature Conservancy for a while, uh, about two, three years seasonally, doing some prescribed fire work and some other habitat work. And then I went back to school and uh, went to the UK, did a, a research master's in prescribed fire effects of tree regeneration on, on Daniel Boone. We got hired on with the Forest Service as an entry-level position and uh, worked my way up from there. So I've been with the Forest Service almost nine years now. So Chris, you mentioned working with a lot of different partners, and obviously you two work for different organizations, the Forest Service and the Nature Conservancy. Can you talk a little bit more about what the Central Appalachians Fire Learning Network is and how these collaborations all come together on this forest? So there's a partnership called the Cumberland River Fire Learning Network, and the partnership is bringing federal partners and state partners and other NGOs together to start discussing how prescribed fire can be used as a tool for management. So the goals in the focus area or the Fire Learning Network area and and really broadly speaking, uh, improve habitat for rare and declining plants and animals, uh, reduce and control uh, non-native invasive species, uh, to restore fire-mediated habitats. And fire-mediated just means that it's a system that would have historically had fire as as a disturbance regime. So if we start thinking about the historic forest pre-settlement of the Daniel Boone National Forest, there was a lot of disturbances that shaped those forests, and those aren't here today. We have Native Americans setting fires for driving game or for conditions conducive for collecting acorns, land clearing, you know, early agriculture. So that land clearing was definitely a big driver of the vegetation out there. So you guys are really focused on restoring this disturbance regime, as you call it, getting fire back on the landscape. And then also to move the forest condition uh, to a point where we have less closed canopy forest and more diverse representation of habitats. So it's not just about getting more fire on the ground. It's about using fire and other tools to restore the forest. We're looking at 
restoration, it's uh, it's like trying to turn a ship that's going full speed, so it's going to turn pretty slowly. Uh, we have certain tools that we can use to get on get us there faster, but in general, when we're doing landscape level prescribed fires, we're looking at a, a, a thousand or two thousand acres sometimes at one time, and we can accelerate the restoration and, and allowing more sunlight to hit the forest floor with you know commercial logging or tree felling. So what we refer to as mechanical thinning. Um, we're talking about things like um, a group of sawyers heading out in the field and, and cutting down a certain um, amount of, of trees to help open up the canopy. Or it could be maybe logging. Maybe the Forest Service or, or a private land has identified that the area needs to be logged. And that can be, you know, that's a form of mechanical clearing in that there's some revenue generated that can be put back into projects, but it's also a step into restoration. We'll try to harvest those trees ahead of time, and then we could potentially introduce uh, prescribed fire in there to help manage those habitats moving forward. Another method of mechanical clearing, which is relatively new, is using a masticator. And a masticator is nothing more than a mulcher on tracks. We can put these masticators in areas uh, actually speed up the restoration process and it'll chew essentially chew up trees you know eight or ten inches and below and basically turn them into mulch and so we know that the trees that we've cut they're gonna they're gonna re-sprout but then we'll need to go in and maintain that with fire to help cut down on the amount of re-sprouts that we get so that we don't lose the progress that we've already made okay so i want to take a step back you guys keep mentioning that you want to open up the canopy you want to get more sunlight on the ground why is that the goal? Why is that better than these closed canopy forests that we have now? A lot of what we have on our landscape is closed canopy forest. And what that means is there's a lot of shade throughout the forest. And that kind of gives rise to shade tolerant species such as beech and maple. And it's not that those species are bad, but they're a whole lot more prominent than what they would have been historically, naturally. And that's mainly because of the lack of prescribed fire and other disturbance regimes that would have helped shape these communities historically. So fire is a natural disturbance that we return to the landscape to help benefit uh, biodiversity and wildlife habitat. Our oaks and pines and hickories and stuff, they need sunlight to regenerate. And without any disturbance to a lot of our forests over time, decades and decades with no tree cutting, no major disturbances, we have real critical point where we may lose a significant component of our ecosystem because we don't have the trees to regenerate and become the next forest. Are there any parts of the Daniel Boone that are fully restored or have this more open canopy that you guys are describing? If you're on the Fire Learning Network driving tour, you may be looking at the Marsh Creek area. It's a, about a 450-acre prescribed burn unit. And if you're standing at the sign and you're looking behind the sign, you can tell that the forest is quite a bit different than what you see to your backside or on the other side of the county road, County Road 678. And part of what we're trying to get to is more forest looking like what you're seeing behind this sign. I can't say that this is exactly where we need it to be or would like to see it, but you're starting to see some more grasses coming in. You see the canopy, the shade uh, is significantly reduced, but it is kind of still relatively small scale. And we're trying to you know, increase the amount of this kind of habitat that, that we've got throughout the forest. This area is burned once every one to three years. And just trying to hold on to what we got restoration-wise with the understanding that 
we still want to open up the area more. In previous episodes of this podcast, we talked a little bit about all the planning that goes into a controlled burn. I'm curious, how do you guys choose an area for a controlled burn, or you use the term prescribed burn, and what kind of planning do you take into account? So when we identify an area to implement a controlled burn, there's obviously some reasoning and some thought that goes in behind that. There's been a really good analysis done on what we call the potential vegetation types. And there's a whole lot of variables that went into this data that kind of gives us an idea of what could be there. And so when we go into an area, we'll start prescribed fire program and we'll enter into what's called the restoration phase. We realize that we're not going to get to where the landscape needs to be just through one or two or maybe even three prescribed burns. So we know that this restoration phase is going to have to have several prescribed burns and possibly some mechanical work. Once we are finished with kind of the restoration phase, then we enter a maintenance phase. And the maintenance phase, depending on, on the natural system that we're trying to manage could mean burning every two years or it could mean burning once every seven or eight years and a lot of this stuff isn't like we know all the answers to so it's adaptive management and we've got folks on staff that are actually monitoring the sites actually before during and after we do burning and that all comes in and we assess the effects that we've seen and try to adapt and change the program so that we end up getting the habitats that we'd, we'd like to see on the landscape. Again, focused on trying to improve the diversity here. Does the whole forest need fire on the ground, or are there places you avoid? So we've got these forested areas along streams and rivers. We do not implement prescribed burning or controlled burns during a time where fire would negatively impact those areas. Um, so even fire, fire may run through or may go right up to a creek or a stream, and most of the time the fire will go out before it reaches those areas. Um, we care about those forested areas along streams and rivers because there's a whole ecosystem there, and these trees are important for shading the, the rivers and streams and maintaining that temperature that's necessary for the aquatic insects and the fish that live there. What about all the animals in the forest? Are they affected by controlled burns or lack of fire? And so because of the lack of these disturbance regimes, the diversity of wildlife has really declined. There's a lot of species that need the more open forest to survive. One of the species that a lot of folks consider one that could be used as an indicator is bobwhite quail. And uh, when we start seeing quail in areas, that also means there's a whole guild of grass and songbirds that would likely be associated with that habitat. So we can use them kind of as a guide to, to let us know how we're doing in terms of restoration. So some of the interesting things we're seeing with some of our landscape burns or some of our smaller um, niche burns is these interesting things happening on the forest floor. When we have disturbance that allows more sunlight to hit the ground and we have a, a greater species diversity, we see it's a really good area for turkeys to brood and, and raise chicks. So they need those lush green area where there's a lot of insects, a lot of high protein for them. Um, and wild turkey is a species that in the spring when we're doing our burning, we may push our burn window a little bit more into the nesting season of the wild turkey. But the good thing about turkey and other gra grassland nesting or ground nesting birds is they'll re-nest. And some of the most recent studies actually show that the second nest is more successful than the first. So it certainly wouldn't happen all the time, but it is a fact that these birds can go back on the nest and may not even be negatively impacted whatsoever by a controlled burn. 
Another really interesting thing we're seeing with our woodlands that we've prescribed fire to frequently uh, is the, the low bush blueberry, even some high bush or some huckleberry. It's a really interesting phenomenon. We burn it repeatedly and every three to five years or so that low bush blueberry with that extra sunlight and the less competition from the hardwood seedling sprouts it's a really good food source for bears and other mammals like humans yeah who doesn't love blueberries all right so now i have the sort of million dollar question if fire is natural in this area why not just let wildfire take its course why do we do controlled burns at all so there is a separation between controlled burning and wildfire. Wildfire does have the ability to, and oftentimes does, really negatively impact the landscape. We've all heard of Smokey the Bear, and Smokey the Bear has been a really successful campaign. And there's some value to Smokey the Bear in that you can prevent wildfires, and wildfires can be bad. Fire, in general, isn't always bad. And the way that we go about implementing controlled burning, we try to make it as beneficial as possible. Um, We take into consideration the wildlife and our burning typically takes place in two primary seasons, the fall season and then the spring season. And during those two periods, there isn't a whole lot of wildlife that's out and active. And there, there is some mortality, but we've not seen any significant mortality, enough that would severely impact the local population. And we've also got to remember, too, that fire is natural in the landscape. These species have come to know fire, and they have the ability to escape the fire, for the most part, especially prescribed burning. Now, wildfires, sometimes on a wildfire, will get high-severity fires where we have lots of trees killed and also potentially lots of wildlife lost. Um, where our prescribed burns are a whole lot more mellow and in most cases allows plenty of time for wildlife to exit and go unharmed. Well, thanks guys for this overview on controlled burning in Daniel Boone National Forest. In our next episode, we're actually going to go out to one of the burn sites with Allison Kuntz. So listen in to the next episode. Thanks again for listening to the Fire Learning Trail podcast. For more information, you can contact the Daniel Boone National Forest or the Consortium of Appalachian Fire Managers and Scientists at www.appalachianfire.org. And feel free to join our conversations on Facebook and Twitter by using the hashtag GoodFire, G-O-O-D-F-I-R-E.